This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. All right. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. We have Matt and Karen Smith on the podcast with us today. They are the authors of Dear Bob and Sue series of books and have a website where they've shared detailed trip reports with some very stunning photography of their travels to the parks. They also have a Dear Bob and Sue podcast where they relive and share about their adventures traveling the national parks and give a handful of insiders tips on traveling to many of the national parks. And I remember in um, the trailer of your guys' podcast, Karen said something along the lines of, the national parks are not Disneyland. And when you put a couple like us in our 50s in a park with pretty much no outdoor experience, some scary and crazy things can happen. And I think listening to your podcast, I mean, that's just so true. I just find it so humorous when I listen to your guys's podcast and we're going to dive into all of that, but thank you so much for coming on our podcast today, guys. Yeah. And, and thank you for having us. I know. It's so fun to talk to you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background, raising your family, leaving your jobs in your late forties. How'd that come about? Well, we have a pretty traditional background. Uh, We met in college, got married right as we graduated from uh, university and had kids a few years later and grew up in the Midwest in in the Kansas City area. We met at the University of Kansas City and had three kids and and raised them in Kansas for part of the time. And then a, a job took me out to the Seattle area. So then we moved the whole family out to Seattle and, and finished raising our family um, in the Seattle area. And then when the kids were, when the youngest of our kids was off at college, maybe for a year, it, it just dawned on us that like, we don't have to come home. Like we don't have to, we don't have to be home for dinner. We don't have to be home on the weekends because they're all off either in college or starting their, their lives. And uh, we, we saw our kids all the time, but like, the, like, we didn't need to see them every night. Right. So uh, we thought, well, there's a lot of things that are open to us that weren't when we had to be home to raise kids. And and, uh, there was a point in time where I was in a job that I I didn't particularly care for. And I thought, let's just take some time off and go travel. And and we had gone to Europe several times, uh, really enjoyed it, but we thought, let's go see the United States and in particular, let's go to the national parks. 
And so kids were off starting their own lives. They didn't miss us. We could be gone for two or three weeks at a time. They, they, they didn't know the difference. Right. And so, uh, we just, I, I don't know why we did it, but we decided to go to all the national park, national parks. And, uh, we had always enjoyed hiking, particularly since we had moved to the Seattle area. There's so much great hiking here in the mountains and, and you can just like in, in a half an hour be in a, a beautiful spot. And so we had done a lot of hiking. Uh, and so that, that kind of attracted us going to the national parks and doing some hikes in, in different, different areas of the country. Yeah. You know, we were, I think you, you get to this point in your life, you know, we were almost 50 at that point. And, um, you know, we kind of started seeing our mortality. My my sister had passed away from breast cancer when she was 50. And our best friend had also passed away at the age of 47. And all of a sudden we, we kind of thought, you know, what are we waiting for? If there are things we want to do, maybe we should go do them now. You know, I think a lot of people wait until they officially retire at maybe 65. And you know, it just occurred to us that we might not have that kind of time. So, so it was, it was all of that combined becoming empty nesters and seeing all this that, um, yeah, as Matt said, we just decided to take a break. Um, we knew we would go back to work eventually. And, um, we thought we'd leave our jobs for a year and it ended up taking two years to go see all the parks. But, you know, we look back now and it, it was, it was the best decision that we ever made. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's so true. People either, I think that a lot of people who go and do these travels, they're either like right out of college and take a couple years off before they join the workforce or they wait till they retire. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like I see a lot of people doing this in their forties and fifties, quitting their jobs and going out to do that. So for you guys to go and do that is pretty awesome. Yeah, we're seeing more of it. it it's a little surprising uh, as as we've been traveling. We see more people doing it. I, I guess the bottom line was is the the distance between when something gets put on the to do list and actually doing it is shortened greatly. Like we don't have these wish lists that you know. And sometimes in the next ten to fifteen years, we want to do this thing. If if it gets on the list, it we usually do it in the next year or two. Yeah. And I mean, that's the way to do it. That's such a good way to live. Cause like you said, you never know what's, what can happen in life. Right. Right. So before you guys did that, it sounds like you did some like park traveling and hiking out in Washington, but was hiking. And I mean, you guys didn't do much. You didn't do any camping at the national parks. It sounds like you did all the lodges. Not, not during that first trip. We did, we didn't do any camping. No. Yeah. But later on you did a backpacking trip, which was fun to listen to. Yeah, and we've done, uh, we're doing a lot more camping and we got a lot more camping planned depending on how this, you know, so, you know, this podcast, we're in the middle of 2020, who knows what, what we're going to be able to do this year, given the, some of the closures, but uh, yeah, we, we plan on doing more backpacking and camping uh-huh. in the future. Yeah, that's one, you know, one of the regrets that we have for when we went to all the parks is that we didn't camp. And, you know, I mean, we, it just wasn't in our vocabulary so to speak we we didn't have camping equipment we didn't know how to do it we just we were not campers at that time so we didn't camp and you know later on we picked that up and we realized how much we missed not camping in the national park so we've kind of made up for that we've gone back to a lot of these parks and camped in them but it's a it's such a different experience than staying in the hotels 
Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, camping is like, that's all my husband and I do for like getting away is camping, basically like staying in a hotel is very rare for us. So yeah, we always wonder what the lodges would be like. We always see them and like, think about what it would be like to stay in one of those. And they are beautiful. That, that are, is yeah. an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. And I, even, even campers out there, if you have the if you have the means and the opportunity uh, to stay in some of the national park lodges, it's a really incredible experience. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think your guys' podcast is so good and so informative, too, when you talk about the lodges and stuff. Because I think a lot of people who go to national parks, especially in their 50s, 60s, 70s, are looking to stay in lodges. And you guys give some really fantastic tips on the rooms and what rooms you shouldn't go in. And <laughs> It's really good insider tips. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks. It's uh, it's so much fun to stay in them because most of them, the ones that we love are historic. And so it's, it's literally like stepping back into time. You know, they were built at the turn of the century and in the 20s and 30s. So it's fun to, to kind of see what the, the visitors to the parks back then would have experienced. And they uh, they keep the furnishings the same. So it, it is, it's a really unique experience um, to just have a chance to stay there, even if it's just for one night. Yeah, I, yeah, I love how like deep in detail you guys go about them too. It's really, really cool. But so like the outdoors aspect wasn't really a, an interest of your guys's when you were raising the kids, raising the family? Well, it, it was, but we had taken the kids on some hikes and, and, you know, depending on what stage the kids are, if, if they don't like something, they don't like it. Right. And so we, <laughs> we went on some family hikes and they didn't seem to like it that that much. And so we didn't want to like push the issue. It was, it was a, something that Karen and I did not so much with the families, which is interesting now that they all want to hike with us. That's great. They didn't want to when they were kids. Now that they're grown adults, they want to go right. on hikes with us. But uh yeah, when we moved to Washington and had the opportunity to hike finally, they were teenagers and boy, they could not have been less interested in hiking with their parents. So like Matt said, we tried, we took them out on trails and it was just, you know, it wasn't even worth it. They, they weren't having fun. They, they didn't love it. So, um, so that kind of squashed that for a little bit. Yeah. Well, and especially when you say teenagers, I think that's something that a lot of parents, like if they want to instill it, they'll instill it at a really young age and then it sticks. But yep. yeah, I can't imagine trying to get some teenagers out there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but then they come around and yeah, they, they turn into adults and then <laughs> they think it's pretty cool to go on the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole nother perspective once you go to college and become an adult. Exactly. The whole exactly. other perspective with your parents and relationship with parents. I know I experienced that. Did you hike when you were a kid in camp? Uh, I grew up camping. I mean, hiking a little bit, but camping was a huge thing um, growing up. My grandparents, they still camp. They're in their, my grandma just turned 90 and they still camp. Wow. <laughs> That's great. That is great. Yeah. But camping and my husband's family too. Camping was always a thing that our families did. We both grew up in Minnesota, just always went to lakes, the campgrounds, the state parks. Um, hiking became more so like in college and later years. Yeah. And then the national park travel. So you guys did that in 2010, correct? That's yeah. when we started. 2010, 2011. 2012. A little bit of 2012. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, we've, we've gone back since. I yeah. Guess. And up to this day, we're still, we're still going to the parks. So. When they'll let us. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Are you guys retired now? Or are you still working? Pretty much. Uh, I do some consulting, but, um, and in the last 10 years, I've, I've gone back to work a couple of different jobs, a couple of different corporate projects. So, you know, kind of, kind of off and on, not, not so much full-time. So how did you decide where, where to start your travels? Like what park you were going to go to? Was it based off where you were living? Yeah, it was. So we, um, we decided to do the three parks in our state first, obviously, because that's the easiest. So in Washington state, we have Mount Rainier National Park and Olympic and North Cascades National Park. And when we started, it was summertime. So that's, that was perfect. So we did those three first. And then, you know, we never really wrote about this in the book, but our schedule of parks was somewhat um, dictated by what was going on in our personal life. So and it seems random in the book, but for instance, our fourth park was Cuyahoga Valley National Park in Ohio, which you know seems like random that you would go there fourth. But our friends Bob and Sue, who you know the title of the book is based on our friends Bob and Sue, their daughter was getting married in Michigan, so we were already going to Michigan for their wedding, so we tied that into Cuyahoga Valley. So that kind of was our theme throughout the two years as we did the parks is kind of what else was going on in our life. And so that's, that's kind of how the first journey started, but so many of the parks depend on weather. Uh, so you have to look at what's accessible in the summer, you know, all these high elevation right. parks. We, with quickly, snow. we quickly learned that the calendar was going to dictate where mm -hmm. we could go when. So we kind of scrambled, like we got in an, an Alaska trip, mm -hmm. uh, quickly we did one in august which is fall for them mm -hmm. uh september's winter <laughs> and yeah. so yeah it, 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 there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason we tried to cluster them so mm -hmm. we would fly to like for instance we fly to miami and we would then go to virgin islands and then come back and we did biscayne bay we did everglades and went down to dry tortugas so that was like a cluster tried to get those done all together mm -hmm. and um, then in december we did the two hawaii parks and american samoa so you know it was nice in the winter we had some more parks to go to uh so yeah so basically after that point it was kind of based on calendar and, and what was accessible and like when you would like you'd go back home was it usually just for like a week or so at a time then you'd be off again yeah yeah depending on um the particular trip and I was actually I was doing some work I was doing some work work in the meantime I was writing an, another book a different a finance book at, at the time so I was kind of hunkered down for a couple of weeks two three weeks at a time trying to get some of that work done and uh but but yeah it it, it was more around what what's going on with the seasons of the year and those particular parks and like what what's what can you do in the parks at that particular time of the year? Like for instance, Yellowstone, we decided just, it was a little bit random, but we thought, well, we're, we're kind of booked up in the summer. Let's do a winter Yellowstone uh, trip. And so we ended up doing a snowmobile trip in Yellowstone, which turned out to be incredible. Yeah. Like uh, we would have never 
really thought to go to Yellowstone in the in the middle of winter and it turned out to be great. I think you guys wrote about that on your blog. Was that one of the ones that sounds familiar? Yeah, we did. And that was one of the best park trips we've ever had because there's nobody there. Um, you know, they do snowmobile tours. It was magical. It's snowing. I mean, it was, that was one of our favorite park trips of all of them was Yellowstone in the winter. Yeah, we went there last summer and loved it in the summer, but we were only there a day. But the wildlife there was incredible. Did you run into a lot of wildlife in the winter? We did. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the bison are, depending on what time in the, the winter. So the bison are trying to, they're just trying to hold on all winter long. They're, they're basically using their big heads, trying to move the snow away to get down to eat grass and whatever they can get to. And as the winter goes on, it gets harder and harder for them to find food. And we happen to be there in early February and, and that's kind of getting later in the winter. And they, they had come down from the mountains and they were close to the area where we did the snowmobile. And we saw quite a few bison close to the trail we were snow snowmobiling mm -hmm. on yeah and we saw wolves and a lot of elk the you know the bears are all hibernating but um we, we saw a lot of wildlife so it was, it was pretty incredible yeah when we were there there was a giant bison carcass and there was like three wolves going at it but there's also a black bear and then a grizzly bear that were all trying to go for this carcass Wow. It was crazy. I mean, there was loads of people just pulled over on the road, watching it with their binoculars, had their photography set up. When an animal gets taken down, it doesn't take long for it to be gone. I mean, like, depending on what the animal is, I mean, it can be 48 hours and there's there's no trace of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're hounding for their food. Yeah, <laughs> they are, yeah. for yeah. sure. And when you guys were doing these travels to the parks, writing a book was never the intention, correct? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That was a, that was a kind of an afterthought. We, well, I mean, the, the story is that there was midway through the first year, we had written a, a letter to Bob and Sue about a funny experience we had at, at, in Yosemite at, at the Iwani Hotel. And uh, we were also then toying with the idea of writing a book, and it kind of just came together. Writing a book's difficult to, to do just by itself, but it was easy writing to our friends. And we realized that, well, if you're, why don't you just write a book where you're just writing to your friends and, you know, try to, if you can, imagine that no one else is listening, no one else is reading it. It's just, it's just correspondence. And that kind of little mental trick for us um, worked well. And so we just stayed with that. Yeah. So, so Bob and Sue are actually, people ask us all the time, you know, are they real? They're real people and their names are really Bob and Sue. And Do a lot of people think you guys are Bob and Sue? Oh, we get yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah. We get letters, dear Bob and Sue. No, no, <laughs> we're Karen and Matt. It's very confusing. I get it. Yes. All the time. Yeah, I'm not, it's not the best title for a book. I like, I wish we would have come up with a different title, but then it gets sticks and then people hear about it and you just, yeah. it's, it's hard to, it's hard to. 
And what's go backwards. What's what worked in our favor was there are so many married couples named Bob and Sue that a lot of people bought the book just because they were Bob and Sue and they thought, oh, I wonder what this book is. And we get letters, all emails all the time from actual Bob and Sue. So it's kind of funny that, you know, we had no idea there were so many of them out there, but apparently there are. They are pretty common names. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. For a while, our entire marketing plan was going to be uh, changing the title. Every time, instead of doing season two, season three is going to be a different. We're, we're just going to do the research of what's the next most common couple <laughs> name yeah. and, and call it that because yeah. we just people would buy it just uh, because. Dear it's... Mike and Mary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most popular name of 2020. That's right. <laughs> So you were writing these emails to them either way. Uh, some of us, some of it, uh, we wrote to them anyway. But most of it's contrived. It's a contrived format. Like we, these aren't these aren't emails that we actually sent. There's parts of some of them that were actual correspondence, mm-hmm. but. But after the first couple, it was it it was contrived. It was we had to go back. Imagine if yeah. we were writing and some of the some of the stories, like in the beginning of Dear Bob and Sue, the story about the squirrel on Karen's head and it's blinking. That's where you know we're taking our our photo by the sign. Those are stories that we had shared with Bob and Sue for years. Mm-hmm. Like like they they thought were funny, and so we thought, well, we'd just include those in the book. Yeah. Were you writing things like at every park you went to, to like, remember, or was it like a process? Like you like went back like years later and you're like, Oh yeah, I should add this too. Uh, well, so three things. One is we did take some notes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. second, we had a lot of photographs and, and photographs, uh, will, you know, will stimulate your memory as to w- what was going on. And the other thing is there's, there's two of us and, and, between the two of us, you know, two people's memory is more than twice, right? Because you then you remind each other of something that happened. And so uh, between those things, yeah. we, we had a pretty good recollection. Yeah. And, and we wrote it, you know, almost immediately after we finished the journey. So it wasn't like we waited 10 years or something. So it was all still very fresh in our mind. Uh, so that, so the recalling the detail with our notes, and, and as Matt mentioned, that, that wasn't difficult for us. And then was writing the other books, like after you did the first one, it seems like it was such a success. Is that what kind of motivated you to do seasons two and three? I haven't read those ones yet. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was because they were such a success. I think it was just like, let's, it's like, let's just do another one. And and the, the second book isn't a Dear Bob and Sue book. It's a, No one knows about the second yeah, book. No <laughs> so. Oh, the Dory's Ho? Dory's Ho. So here's the thing too about, so. We didn't want to name our second book another Dear Bob and Sue because we thought we got to get away from that. Like that's just so we named it Dory's Ho, which, you know, it's about our Dory trip on the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. And then no one could find it and no one knew what it was. And we didn't sell very many copies. But when we came out with Dear Bob and Sue season two, all of a sudden, like, People like recognize the name and they bought it. So it's kind of crazy how, you know, what's in a title, right? But um, when we published the first Dear Bob and Sue, we put it on Amazon. We pretty much forgot about it. We both went back to work for five years and we weren't, you know, we just went back to our normal lives. 
And we never thought anyone would ever read it. And after about five years, people started finding it. Um, you never did any book tours or anything, right? Oh, no. no, no. We did in, in the early days, about maybe a year after it came out, we did put it on free download on Amazon and had quite a few, I mean, many thousands of free downloads, which people don't want to do that because you're not getting any any income from that and you're giving it away. And if you give it away, does people not value it? So I think that what that did is it it created a, a somewhat of an audience for it so that years later when it kind of started back up again, there were there were some people out there who had mm-hmm. known about it. Mm-hmm. So that it was at about five years later that then the book started really taking off and we decided to write another one at that point. And um, we decided to travel more and write more books. And, you know, it's funny because when we, in 2010, when we started on the journey, there was no Instagram. There was no, I think you see a lot of people going to all the parks now and they're documenting their journey, which is fantastic. We didn't have any of that. We didn't document anything. It was just a hundred percent something that we wanted to do. So I mean, we have some photos and things, but this wasn't like a public journey that we were, you know, showing the world. It was just, it was our private journey. So, you know, it's kind of different. It was just a different world back then. Yeah. I mean, and you guys were taking like amazing photos along your journey as is, but it seems like you guys have nice cameras too. And photography is kind of a, another hobby of yours. Well, <laughs> not, not really. Honestly, we had a, an inexpensive point and shoot digital camera back then. And we really weren't focused on taking photos. Like every now and then we would take some photos. Like if we went to a place like Katmai National Park, is, which is the podcast that's being released this week. Clearly, you're there to see the bears. That's going to be an incredible experience. And, and so we, we knew that we would take photos of that. But we were pretty much just trying to experience it. And yeah. uh, now, but, but also now, it's just so easy because we have our phones with us anyway. And the phone, the cameras are so great on the phones. Just We just point our, our phone at, at something and touch the red button. Like yeah, that's all we do. That, that's our photography skill. <laughs> Past three years, we've only used our, our our iPhones for our photography, and then we edit them. But photography is not our thing. And I know you can understand this as somebody who loves to hike. We don't want to be slowed down by by a lot of equipment. We are literally, like, we're hiking, we're hiking, we have our cell phone. It's like, snap, snap, snap. And that that's what it is, because for us, it's about the experience. It's about, we're out there doing it, and we hope we can get some good pictures along the way. Yeah. Well, now that you say this, I do remember you guys mentioning one of your podcasts, like people keep asking you about your photography and you gave pointers on your iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> I know they want to know what cameras we use. Really. <laughs> we yeah. whatever cameras on our phone. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other reason I thought you guys were like into photography is because Matt had mentioned a photography podcast reached out to you guys or something so maybe that's another reason it like got my mind that oh photography is a hobby too (laughs) yeah it should I mean the thing obviously with the iPhone cameras the thing that's missing is um you know the taking pictures of the Milky Way and the moon and some of those night shots yeah the long exposure yeah we'll never get so Sometimes we are out in the parks and we do wish we had a really nice camera with us. Um, so maybe that's in the future. 
maybe. <laughs> yeah, or they just build it into the phone. That's right. Camera. We'll wait until the iPhone. I mean, like the Galaxy, like the Samsung is, yeah. has the long exposure. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they get better and better with technology. By the day, it's kind of nuts. Definitely. So do you guys have like a top audience that you'd recommend Dear Bob and Sue to? Or do you know who the top audience buying your book is? You know, when it first started out, we thought that it was people in our age group. But as it turns out now, we, we hear from a lot of people. And honestly, it's every age group. It's 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 people in their 20s. It's um, We've had some some grandparents say that their teenage kids love to listen to our books on audio. So it's it, like, it means so much to us that it's reaching an audience of all ages, but I it's would, a little, yeah, it's a little bit of a barbell where, you know, people our age and that are into or close to retirement. And then, cause they have more time and then people in their twenties and early thirties, because they have more time and it's like, yeah, people in between and maybe are just too busy, like raising their families or, doing their careers. Mm -hmm. But I would say, and you've read our book, but I think that um, it's definitely not a guide. So if it's a serious person looking for a serious, either guide or a work of literature, like that is not our audience at all, because, you know, it's somewhat silly and sarcastic. And so it seems to us that the people who enjoy our book like there's two things. They love to be outside and go to the parks and hike and they have a sense of humor and they take things lightly and they like to laugh. And, uh, you know, we've, we've read our reviews on Amazon. So we know what people, we know what they don't, don't like. like. <laughs> we know what they don't like. <laughs> and, you know, we, you know, we've had some very negative reviews, people who thought we were frivolous and silly and, you know, whatever there's, there's a whole, disrespectful a whole slew of reviews but but I think the people who love it are like I said like to be outside like to laugh have fun take things lightly so yeah yeah I mean I know I read some of your guys's reviews too and it does seem like it's those some people who are very very serious about the parks who are just like these people are out of their minds <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever we get really discouraged and, and when we first started writing the first book, the Dear Bob and Sue book, our aspiration was if if we could ever, like if I could write a paragraph out of an entire book, if I could write a paragraph as good as Bill Bryson writes his entire books, then I would like that, that would be the aspiration. And so uh, whenever I get discouraged by bad reviews, I just look at um, Bill Bryson's negative reviews, and they're, and they're like word for word, the same same stuff that we get in our bad reviews. And so it makes me, like he's an incredible author, accomplished, uh, knows what he's doing, he's been a professional his entire life at writing, and people still say the same thing. Some people say the same thing about his writing as they do ours. So we figure, okay, that's just, just kind of part of the deal. Yeah, it, it's shocking to us though, because like we're just normal people. And then to read some of the reviews and it's shocking just the level of, I'm going to say hatred towards us that people have expressed. I mean, we're, we're like, why would you feel that strongly against us? And, and I, I will say we have fantastic reviews and I, I, you know, overall, like we're thrilled and grateful that people have left such great reviews, but I stopped reading them. I, I don't even read them anymore because the ones that, the negative ones were just 
like I, if people say I didn't like it, the book, or I thought it was boring, like that's totally legit. But the people who were like, I hate these people, <laughs> you know, I just, it was tough to read. It was just, so I, I just stopped reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be haters in any aspect. I think, you know, whether you're an author, whether you're a sports player, whether you're a musician, anything, there's yeah. always going to be opinions out there. Podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't even think this podcast has any reviews. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so the season two, I mean, season one was all about like your park travels and everything. What was season two more so focused on? Well, we decided we would expand our focus from just the national parks to other public lands. So we started writing about some other places. So it opens with, um, we, we went to Las Vegas and it, it was called Outdoorsy in Vegas. So we wrote about some really great public lands that you can go to when you're in Vegas, like um, Valley of Fire State Park and Lake Mead and Mojave. There's some within about a two hour or two of Red Vegas, Rock Red Rock Canyon. There's some great spots. Um, then we went back to Utah. You know, we keep going to Southern Utah because the parks, the national parks, the state parks, the monuments are incredible. Um, then we went from there to Arizona and there was Monument Valley and Horseshoe Bend and Antelope Canyon and Buckskin Gulch. Uh, then we had a trip to New Mexico, where we went to um, national monuments that were called Bandelier and Kashikatui, and we went to White Sands, which is now our newest national park, and back to Carlsbad Caverns and Guadalupe Mountains. Um, and then it talks about how we became campers and our first attempts at camping in Olympic National Park. Um, and uh, from there, we backpacked to Shai Shai Beach in Olympic, and yeah. Um, so basically, um, what else? We went back to Glacier National Park and Sequoia and Kings Canyon. In Glacier, that's where you guys, in your podcast, you highlighted that backpacking trip, I think. Oh, that's Sahali that Glacier. That was Sahali Glacier, and Sahali Glacier is in North Cascades National Park. But that wasn't your first backpacking trip. Yeah, we had done multiple uh, backpacking by that time. It was just a spectacular yeah uh hike and and campsite i mean like incredible campsite so we just thought it would be mm -hmm. worth um worth doing a podcast about yeah but anyway so yeah we talk about uh, a lot of um still we went to national parks but also a lot of monuments and things like that so then with camping for your first time did you kind of like dive into that experience in the book yeah a little <laughs> bit i mean the first first time was uh tent camping in a campground where the, you know, the trucks parked 20 feet away from the tent and, and, and all of that. And, and what was, what was funny is uh, like one week later, we then did a backpacking trip, which was, which was a pretty strenuous. Uh, the next week we had done Shy Shy Beach where our packs were heavier than they needed to be. And we ended up going to this, this is a far Northwest part of Olympic National Park and hiking down the length of this beach with heavy packs on and mm -hmm. <laughs> hiking in sand, sand <laughs> is, not, is not the easiest thing to do, but. Yeah. Um, it's such a learning experience though, too, because, you know, just 
first of all, getting everything that you need, that's a whole huge list, right? Rather, whether you're camping in a campground or backpack camping, I mean, we had to go out and get all kinds of things and be fitted for the big packs. And so we wrote about all that. So it was, um, you know, it's from the perspective of people who are new to it. Uh, so, and especially, you know, started in our fifties. So I think some people could appreciate trying a whole new activity at that age, figuring it out. Um, and some of the lessons that we learned. So yeah, it was fun. And now we love to camp, you know, we, wish we would have started it a little earlier, but it's all good. Awesome. So you guys, do you prefer camping now over lodges? Well, it depends on the trip. I mean, sometimes the lodge is the destination to to some extent. Uh, Now, most of our camping is related to the trip itself. For instance, like this year, we uh, won permits to do the enchantments in, uh, in Washington and it's the enchantments, it's an area of it's, it's in a national forest, but it's really hard to get the permits. And so the area is so spectacular that the only way you're going to do it is, is through backpacking. And so, um, you know, that's that we're doing the Chilkoot trail again, and that's all, uh, backpacking. So it's, it's, it's more around the trip, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Also, I think that I'm still somewhat a fair weather camper. So I love it when the weather's great. And, you know, we, Matt and I went to Kings Canyon in California and camped back in the park and it was fantastic. And then we've also camped in cold and rain and, and it was not fantastic. One of the coldest camps, <laughs> camping experiences we had was in August. Mm-hmm. Of last year, we were up in the uh, North Cascades, and like we're breaking ice off of the tent in August the, yeah. in, in the morning. So, so when it's good, it's really good, and when it's not good, it's. <laughs> I'd rather be in a lodge and answer and to your we've done, we've done the Grand Canyon River trip a couple of times, and that's all camping, and uh-huh. th- that you very quickly get used to just sleeping wherever. Yeah. Yeah. But the weather was good there. So it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's so true though. When camping is not fun, it's, it's not fun. And then later on you reflect and you're like, oh my gosh, I survived that. How did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) So true. But yeah, in the moment you're like, oh my gosh, I want to be in a warm place with a pizza and a beer. That's all I want. (laughs) That's right. Seems so little to ask, doesn't it? I think that's the other thing that kept me going in your guys' first book. You talked about beer a handful of times too, (laughs) which was motivating. Yes. Always good to have a nice beer after a long hike. I know. Isn't (laughs) it though? Yes, it is. Somebody commented on a review that we drank a peculiar amount of beer. (laughs) We thought it wasn't peculiar at all. No, it wasn't peculiar. And we always, you have to remember if you, you know, you're, gonna like go for a three-day hike you gotta remember to leave it in the truck in a cooler so that mm-hmm. you know it's it's there when you get back right right because we never we never like would take beer with us or even well whiskey sometimes but like the packs were heavy enough we just wouldn't carry it and so yeah well there was no way to keep it cold either yeah right? so on a backpacking trip but yeah always ready for a cold beer after a hike. <laughs> 
You know, I think if people are leaving those reviews, maybe they've never been on a long hike and experience how great a beer tastes after a long hike. <laughs> well, I think that's exactly right. And I think the other thing they haven't experienced is I think a lot of them haven't experienced uh, a long-term marriage like we have because there's a lot of, we tease each other a lot and we kid around a lot. And I, I think it maybe in the book that didn't translate so well and people thought we were you know being mean to each other and and, and it couldn't be further from the truth. But I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of people haven't actually had some of these either relationships or experiences and they don't get it, which, which is, which is fine. Right. I mean, it's hard to writing humor is it's probably the hardest form of comedy there is because we get no feedback. I mean, if you're doing stand up, you're in front of a crowd, you can, you know, if a joke doesn't work and if you do it a few times, it doesn't work. You take it out of the rotation if you have a television show, you can see an audience, you can see the audience reaction. When you're writing, we have no reaction whatsoever until it's already produced and like out there in the world. And so like, it's, it's tough to mm -hmm. try to try to do humor without any kind of reaction. And, and of course, everyone knows like when, when humor doesn't work, it's really bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not just like, okay, well, it missed. I mean, it's like bad humor is really bad. And so when you miss, um, like that's really dangerous. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I was reading the book, I definitely caught on that it was just humor and your guys's relationship with one another. But yeah, like Matt said, I think conveying like emotions through writing is so hard. It's like writing a text message. It's like, unless you put like a smiley face or a sad face or a mad face, nobody can really know what you're saying. It's exactly right. And I think that that's why one of the reasons we love doing the podcast, because when we tease each other on the podcast and people can hear our voices, they totally get it. Like we're laughing, we're having fun. We're not, it's not snarky. It's not so we love doing the podcast because you don't have to explain anything. You don't have to right. hope that they, you know, didn't read something into it. It's like you can hear it. And we've even thought of of doing videotaping the podcast because even then like facial expressions and, you know, body language and stuff like that, that also adds a lot to it. Um, if you, you know, if you don't see that, you might miss some of the communication. But like that, as you know, that adds like a whole nother <laughs> complexity to the it's already uh, it's a whole other complexity to upload your podcast to a youtube yeah it's, yes it is we slowly do it but like barely and we don't even do videos we just put over the audio so is um season three what's what's that one all about well that's a continuation of more non-national park public lands so we're uh we're going to more national monuments the season three opens with an RV trip. So that's another thing. I mean, a, a lot of our audience, they, they're into RVing, but we, we never RVed before. So we rented an RV in Southern uh, Arizona. And so we took a trip, we went to Chiricahua National Monument uh, down in Southern Arizona and uh, did Catalina State Park and Casa Grande, Tonto National Monument. So we did some things in, um, in Southern uh, Arizona talking about our RV trip. And then we did a, uh, we were kind of exploring all the different kinds of ways to, to camp. We did, we rented a teardrop trailer, found a guy who had a, a fairly rugged teardrop trailer. He was renting in the Las Vegas area. So we went down there, picked it up in February and went to Mojave, uh, Joshua tree, death Valley. And so we did some, uh, 
it's basically it's 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 a queen size bed on the on a trailer, uh-huh. um, which was great. Yeah, and yeah. and that we we enjoyed it. Although we were finally realizing that it's not warm anywhere in the world, <laughs> like anywhere in the northern hemisphere in February, like including the Mojave Desert. Or yeah, Death we were Island. in some snow and some wind, and so it was a little chilly. Yeah, and then we did a another Utah trip, uh, explored some some more areas of Escalante. Slot did some slot canyons, uh, went to, into Bears Ears, went to Zion, uh, some hikes in, in uh, Canyonlands. And then we did a trip in California. We were driving down there to see some friends. And we, so we stopped by Point Reyes uh, National Seashore, which is incredible. It was a beautiful hike that we did that we kind of did the length of what's Tamales, Tamales Point mm-hmm. and saw hiked right through a herd of tule elk. Um, it was kind of a cloudy day, but it was it's beautiful area. And then we kind of on our way back, we hit uh, the ancient bristle, bristle cone forest in uh, the, what was that, Inyo National Forest? Mm-hmm. Um, so several thousand year old bristlecone pine trees that that mm. early may we still got snowed on yeah and then we did a uh we did a rocky mountain national park trip with bob and sue so that was kind of fun they make to, an appearance in the book uh, mm-hmm. yeah and then that, then we talk about sahali glacier the back the backpacking trip we wrote about it uh in north cascades and then and then we did the Chilkoot Trail in Alaska. So the Chilkoot Trail is, uh, the trail itself is where prospectors in 1898 during the Klondike Gold Rush, it's where they began their trip. So they would uh, take a boat or somehow get up to Skagway, Alaska, and they would have to hike up over this mountain range. Uh, once they got up to the the other side of the mountain range, then they basically floated a river for 500 miles to Dawson City, where, where the Klondike gold rush, where the gold was found. But anyway, uh, this was kind of the, the hard hardest start of the trip. And so now that trail, it's about 32 miles long. It's a national park on both the U.S. and Canadian side. So the first half is in the in U.S. and then you cross the Canadian border. Anyway, so that's a Kind of a, it's, what it's, do you it's, still like need your passport to like you do zoom? yeah you do yeah you, you actually take, cross take, over they uh the rangers make sure you have it with you when you start because then you're on the other side you're, you're gonna get checked uh that's not to ruin the story but we had uh, that was a kind of a dangerous adventure for us yeah and so that uh, so we wrote about that and then finally what we did we we decided that i i just wanted to go do an old-fashioned road trip through the West, and we decided what we called it the bison tour. And so we drove from Seattle basically straight east to North Dakota, and we we tried to find as many places along the way as we could to find public herds of of bison. So there's a bison uh, range in in, uh, Montana, and then uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park in, in North uh, Dakota and in South Dakota, there's uh, Bear Butte uh, State Park. And Custer and, and State Park. Custer State mm-hmm. Park and Badlands. And so we did all of those. And on, on the way back, we went through Yellowstone. So anyway, we called it the Bison Tour. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we did that. That was probably the best road trip we have ever done. Um, 
yeah, so that kind of closes the book, the whole, we, we it was two weeks and just this massive loop of public lands with bison. So yeah, so that's season three. So in over how long of a time span was the season three? Season three was about nine months of our travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we were trying to, you know, do these, season two and season three are within one year. Mm-hmm. So season two is 2017 travel. Season three is 2018. We have not, we have not done a book about our 2019 travel. No, not yet. We, we've written some of it. To be honest, we're, we're not sure what we're going to do with the writing going forward. Uh, it, it may be that maybe the podcast is, is a better medium to get our, our message across. And do you think you, I mean, it was part of the reason you did the podcast because of that, because people weren't understanding your sense of humor. Did that have anything to do with it? Yeah. It seems like the podcast is the thing now, right? I mean, people don't read books. (laughs) It's it's a more, I I still do. I read every day. Thank you. It's it's a, it's a more immediate way to connect with the audience. Um, It's easier not that, not that easy is, you know, we're looking for the, the easiest way to get our message across, but I mean, it is so much easier to do a year of podcasts than to write a book. I right. mean, it's just like way easier. And, and, and if the audience would just would, you know, if they're just as okay hearing a season of podcasts rather than another book, then that that's a better way for us to get our message out there. Right. And it's so much more immediate too, because by the time we, you know, we do a year of travel and then we hunker down and actually write a book and edit a book and get it out. You know, now this travel is a year old and that's actually really quickly to get a book out. But I mean, we could do a podcast about something we did yesterday. So it feels like it's just uh, fresher and just more immediate as far as what, what might've just happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that podcast definitely are good for that. And I mean, I think it goes with, it comes down to what people individually want too. Cause I mean, I'm an avid reader and an avid podcast listener, and there's probably a lot of people out there who are both, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. I, there's nothing to me like a, a, like a book in my hand. I agree. And yeah. And a real one, not scrolling through a Kindle. Right. Right. <laughs> Books and maps, those are, those, that's our thing. <laughs> so the, I, I don't know if there'll be a season four. It could be that the season four content gets put into our podcast. Yeah, we'll see. And so do you plan on just continuing season four, five, six? Is that kind of where this is headed? You know, I feel like as long as we have stories to tell and we're still out traveling, I, I you know, I think at some point we'll get to a point where maybe we, we don't have anything left to say, but that hasn't happened yet. So I, I think it remains to be seen, but we're, you know, we, we still, I mean, we have the rest of the year planned with some really great trips. Hopefully we'll be able to do them. And so that's a whole nother slew of adventures to talk about. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, hopefully. Yeah, we're trying to look essentially what we're trying to do with books or podcasts or any any communication is there's kind of three elements of what what we're getting across is humor, adventure and information. And so, you know, there's kind of as long as you keep traveling, there's kind of an endless supply of that mm-hmm. because even information at the parks change and what you can do in those parks change. And so um, 
it does refresh. There, it's you know, it's a it's a crowded space. There's a lot of people, uh, you know, not a lot of influencers and social media folks covering the national parks, and so we got to make yeah. make it unique. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think our kind of our thing is is we're like every man, like if we can do it, anyone can do it. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not scaling mountains. We're not, you know, we're not doing like all this superhero, really hard stuff. So it's kind of like, we're like just Joe average. So if people read our books and like, Oh, they could do it. We, we could probably do that too. So maybe that's what our space is. <laughs> yeah. Anyone can do it. Well, and it goes along with that quote you share in your trailer that I said at the beginning of this podcast, something like, um, the national parks are not Disneyland. And when you put two almost 50 year olds into a park, lots of crazy and scary things can happen. Absolutely. Yes. I know. There are a lot of things. I mean, So what's the scariest thing that's happened to you guys in a park? Oh, well, the scariest thing was getting hit head on by another airplane while we were flying through Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, the mid airplane collision. Yeah. Which we cover in the first uh, episode of our podcast, like, like a few days before that being chased by a grizzly, a brown bear in Katmai National Park. That So two things where we thought we were going to die, literally. So were you alone on the trail when this bear was chasing you? Um, there was another gentleman that, that who was sort of standing next to us. Um, we didn't know him, but he was a photographer taking photos when that happened. So he was kind of with us. But um, Yeah, we were, uh, to make a long story short, uh, in Katmai, when the bears get closer to, as close as 50 yards to you, if they are approaching you, you have to, you're supposed to make way, you're supposed to stay within 50 yards of them, more than 50 yards. And so this bear was coming down the this beach and we were starting to back up. And as we were backing up, he, he started running at us. Um, and he was about 50, he was about 50 yards away. It's not, not like we were really close to him. Uh, and it, and it turned out it, it, we lived <laughs> to tell the story. Um, That's in this Thursday's podcast. It's in this Thursday's podcast. But it, it's yeah. for, for a while, I, I wasn't sure we were going to make it. I know. I know. But I mean, I, that stuff happens all the time in the national parks and not just to us, right? There are, you know, there are wild animals and floods and uh, floods. people get lost uh, and they run out of water. And uh, that's happened to us too. Oh, we, we've, a uh, couple of times we've, yeah. we've been in, and we're prepared and we have the checklist and we, we try to do all the right things. And we've been in a couple on a couple of hikes where one time we got lost and uh, almost, you know, almost ran out of water and, and couldn't find our way back. And another time we were almost uh, a couple of times heat exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, you just kind of overextend yourself physically. Yeah. So I do think, you know, people, they go to the parks and they think that it's a park and it's, everything's going to be fine. And you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, especially if you're not prepared or prepared as you guys said you are. Yeah. I mean, they're wild places and you just don't know what, what could happen. Um, but it does, it does make for some exciting adventures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It totally does. You you never know what's in store or around the corner. The other scariest the, to me, one of the other really scary things that happened to us, and I think we wrote about this in season two, maybe, but we were backpacking with our friends, John and Lolly, through North Cascades. 
and a, a, a ranger had given us set up our trip and given us the permits of where we would where we would camp. And so the second night, he set us up in this campground that had seen a forest fire go through it a couple years before, and it was completely burnt out. And we were the only people there, and it was literally like all of these huge trees were still left standing, but all the branches were burnt off. So it was like, just like. Looked, uh, looked uh, like a scene out of a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. You know, like, it, like, a, like a Halloween movie. Right. If you can imagine, they were almost look like telephone poles still everywhere. And so by the time we got there, we were exhausted. We had heat stroke. It was the end of the day. And if we wanted to go further, it was another five miles. So we thought, you know, we're just going to camp there. So we set up our tents. Um, after we go to bed, we, we can hear John's kind of snoring in there. So they're asleep. And all of a sudden we're laying there in the dark and we heard this huge bang that sounded like a gunshot. Oh, it sounded, it, it sounded like a rifle shot. But, and I again, mean, like exactly like a rifle we're shot. We're in the middle of the wilderness. No one is in this campground but us. So it sounded like a rifle shot. So we sat up and we woke John and Molly up and we're like, there's someone shooting a I thought gun. Somebody, <laughs> I thought somebody, some crazy person was like, you know, target practice at, 11 o'clock at night in the wilderness and not knowing that we're out there. Yeah. So like maybe not, not a crazy person, but you know, doesn't know that, Hey, don't shoot in this direction because we're camping over here and it's really scared us. And so we, um, we didn't hear anything else and we kind of laid back down in our sleeping bags. And then all of a sudden we heard it again, another, like what we thought was a gunshot. And what turned out to be happening was uh, the wind had picked up and it was getting so windy that the wind was blowing down these huge dead trees in the campground, which was almost as scary as somebody out right. there with a gun. So, so then, then we knew what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't somebody shooting at us. Now we just had to worry about- a tree falling a, a, on a, you. tree falling yes. on us, which they were everywhere. I mean, they were, they were had 50 trees within, uh, you know, where we were camping. I know it was the worst night. So again, we thought, do we get up and like try to hike in the dark for another five miles, and then we don't even have another campsite? So, so we we also we also right before we went to bed that night on that incident, uh, uh, we almost stepped on a rattlesnake in, yeah. in the dark. So we were kind of yeah, and, it, and, it was, and we were, we were suffering snake bit. <laughs> from, from heat, heat exhaustion. So that that was kind of a yeah but, delirious yeah night but, camping. Yeah, as it turned out, a tree obviously did not fall on us but they were falling like dominoes so it was very scary but you know it's stuff like that that you couldn't even imagine until you're there in the instance what what might happen right I mean it's like the stuff you hear about that you're like oh it's not gonna happen to me I'm good <laughs> yeah it absolutely could it could happen to anybody but um, yeah, that's why we always say in our podcast, it's stories of adventures and misadventures. <laughs> Emphasis on misadventures. <laughs> I liked your guys' podcast episode where you were explaining the lodge. I don't remember what lodge, but they put you in a, the wrong room. You ended up being in a room where you ran into a naked couple. <laughs> Oh yeah. That was Crater Lake Lodge in, in uh Crater Lake National Park in Oregon. <laughs> that was a, that was a surprise. A series of <laughs> mishaps right on top of each other that I know, I know. We had uh had a couple of beers in the bar. Not that that had anything to do with it, but when we went to check into our room and they gave us the key, 
it was just a series of unfortunate events. Well, when we were at the bar, <laughs> we, we ordered a beer and then like we wanted, I, I wanted a second beer and there was like a, a communicate, like there was a language gap between me and the, and the person taking our second beer order. And I said, I would like a second beer. And the person said, you want two beers? And I said, yes. And he, then he turns to Karen, like to confirm the order and said, you want two beers? And she, she, she was saying, yes. <laughs> so he brought us four beers, four more beers. So we like, yeah. like, wanted, like wanted two and they brought us four. Anyway, so we had to drink them because they... Yeah, but, in front of us. but when we went to check in and they gave us the key, it, it was one of those old fashioned keys. Like we, you're probably not old enough, but when we used to stay as kids in like holiday and they had the plastic key fob with the, with the number on it. And uh, so it said, you know, like 502. So uh, we go to find room 502 in the lodge and I get on the elevator because I have my suitcase and Matt said he was going to take the stairs and, so when I punched the buttons on the elevator, it only went up to the fourth floor. And But I thought that's kind of typical in these old hotels because sometimes you have to get off on one floor and find the staircase up to the top floor. So I met him on the fourth floor and we walk around and walk around and we could not for the life of us figure out how to get to the fifth floor. So we took the elevator back but, down. But the fact that there wasn't a fifth floor didn't slow us down. We, we were <laughs> well, still, we didn't know it yeah, time. right. We didn't know it, but we yeah. were like, we were sure there was a fifth floor. We kept looking for it. So we had to go all the way down. And ask the bellboy, where's the fifth floor? And he was just shook his head like, there are only four floors in the hotel. Like he was looking at his grandparents. I know. He was like, no. No. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with you, Papa? People? Flip the key over. You're, you're and there was another number on the other side that was like three fourteen. So how were you supposed to know? Exactly. Thank you. So when we went back up to the correct room, I was in front of Matt, and I had the key. So I opened the door. And I pushed the door open, and the first thing I saw was this gorgeous view out the window of Crater Lake in, in all its blue beauty. And then there was like this movement out the corner of my eye. And as I turned to the left, all of a sudden there was a naked couple on the bed, like sitting up from what they were doing and like trying to grab the sheets they were and everything. They were So Matt wasn't even in the room yet. And I like fell back on Matt and slammed the door shut. He didn't see any of it. And I'm like, run, run. And I ran. <laughs> we ran. I didn't know why to I was the elevator running. And we hit the button. He's like, why are we running? And they said, because they're naked and they looked mad. They looked yeah. like they were going to come after us. Yeah. yeah. So then, then we went back down and said, there's people in our room. And then, then we got in trouble. Like, why do you have these keys? And so it was a it was a series mm -hmm. of things like you because you gave you gave this these keys to us ten minutes ago. Yeah. Anyway, we so we were apparently supposed to be in room two twelve. Got back to room two twelve, and it was fine. There were no naked people, and there was great view. But yeah, and then the whole rest of the weekend, I was afraid I would see these people, and they would see us because I'm sure they were mad. I'd be mad that we walked into their room. Yeah. So we were kind of you know like this the rest of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, stuff like that happens, seems to happen to us all the time. <laughs> Have your adult children read your books and oh, just yeah. like had some interesting thoughts? 
on your travels? Well, yeah, I, we, we don't know if they, we, well, we don't know if they've actually read them. We haven't quizzed them, you know, on, on it. Uh, they, they probably have. They don't, they don't make a lot of comments. I think the, they Our, think we're crazy yeah. to begin with. Our oldest daughter, and maybe it's just an old, oldest child thing, but she's, um, she was an English major. We actually give her our books to help us edit it. And she's, she's somewhat critical <laughs> Yeah, she, all the time. Yeah, dear Robin Sue, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of comma splices in there in here. And I well, said, Hey, it's her job, right? Yeah. Like out of 128,000 words, there were three comma splices. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So and then, you know, we'll say, well, what did you think of the book? Did you like it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. You know, like very unenthusiastically. So and then I, I think our middle daughter has probably never read them. And our son, our our youngest, is he's actually, you know, seems to enjoy them and says nice things about them. But out of the so out of the three, we have one. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like if my parents wrote books of their crazy adventures. What what I would think of that. <laughs> And, you know, we never on our social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook, we never post photos of our kids or any like it's our, like our family. We did write about them in the book because they went with us to want the very first part. So but after that was like, you know, how social media is like that. Our family is is uh, private. So on social media, we don't share photos of that kind of stuff. Just right. Just the books and yeah, yeah. Yeah, social media. When it's out there, it's out there. <laughs> I know, I know, for or, sure. Forever. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I'm sure they, they don't want to be out there on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what's each of your favorite park that you travel to? That's a tough one um, because there's so many different uh, aspects to the park. So we we talked about this in Katmai, but if uh, Katmai in Alaska with the being amongst the brown bears was sort of our favorite experience. I mean, if you took the brown bears out of that, it wouldn't be our favorite park, but it was our favorite experience. Yeah, I, the the hesitation is like there's just so many of them that that are incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I I time of year. I mean, Yellowstone. It, it's hard to beat Yellowstone just because of its size and diversity of wildlife, and then the thermal features are so cool mm -hmm. and. Like if, uh, I mean, I would kind of, I would add Grand Tetons with it because it's of that area of the, the country. It's kind of all, all together, mm -hmm. but I mean, that's. Yeah, I, Yellowstone is my personal favorite because as Matt said, the, the, the diversity of wildlife and the geography, I mean, it has mountains, it has canyons and lakes and the thermal features, it has everything. And I think for, you know, some people, maybe don't have the same great experience because I think when you go in the summer, sometimes with those traffic jams and with all the people, it, it takes away somewhat from the experience. But if you go in the fall and the winter and the spring and you see it without the masses of people, it's a, it's a different place. Yeah. But you know, one time I think I said, or so somebody else said this, I repeated it, like, what's your favorite park? And, and the, the answer is, whichever one we're in at the time. And it's, and it sounds like kind of a smart ass answer, but it's kind of true. It's like the one you're in at the, that time, like even parks like the battle of the little bighorn, like you go, you go to it. It doesn't look all that impressive. There's, there's not much 
out there. It's, it's a wide open landscape. And then you start reading the history of the area and it's just becomes more and more interesting. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's the historic aspect of the park that makes it just like incredibly interesting. Like I can't, I, you know, read about all of the, the battle of the little bighorn. I, now I want to go back to see all the Hills and all the spots where, where things happened. And, um, yeah, the history, history of these parks really bring them to life also. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, yeah, that is a tough question. <laughs> I know. As you guys were answering, I was th- I asked that to another couple that we had on the podcast. They made the board game Trekking the National Parks, oh, if you've sure. heard of that game. Yeah. yeah. Super fun game. But yeah, because they went to all the national parks as well. And I asked them that. And yeah, they their answer was really similar. Just like, how do you answer that? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, also sometimes you might go to a park that's fantastic and it rains nonstop and you sit in your car and it, it depends a lot on the weather, how you're feeling. So there, there are a lot of qualifiers, I think for everybody as to their park experience. Um, so, but I think the, what we would, our advice is to keep going back and see it in different seasons and under dis- different circumstances and, uh, you know, give it a chance because they're, they're all incredible. And I think that's really good advice. Cause you know, I went to Acadia national park last summer and it was just so hot. I couldn't enjoy it. I did like a mile hike and I was, I was just done, but I know people love that park and have such great things to say about it, but because of the heat, I just was like, I, I'm over it. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So keep going back to parks. Do you have any other top advice for traveling to the parks? Yes. uh, A few things that, that we've learned. One is um, a lot of, uh, there, there are a lot of things, whether it's a hike or a lodge reservation or a tour that are booked up and so you try to book way in advance and you can't get a reservation and all that but we have found so many times that we can catch last minute cancellations that's kind of turned into like one of our big tips whether it's a a lodge reservation or or a, a tour or something like that so so one uh you know don't get discouraged you have to be more flexible but last minute uh cancellations uh, the other one we just talked about is manage expectations. Like I, I know that some people, they can't travel as much. And so they're, they're planning a trip to a park and they, they want to do everything in the park and have this incredible experience because they've heard other people have incredible experiences, but like you really have to manage your expectations because it, it could take multiple trips to that park to see everything or the weather could be bad or a tree could be you know, down over and blocking the one hike that you want to do. So uh, the thing you wanted to do might not be available or happen exactly the way, you know, somebody else described it to you, but something incredible is there, uh, you know, available for you on those trips. And then another thing that we kind of learned through writing the books is like to write notes to yourself as you're going to the parks, because you'd be amazed at how much you forget. And you, you're having these incredible experiences. You think I'm never going to forget this, but 
just little details will then help you remember other things. And just a little diary, it doesn't have to be uh, long and doesn't have to be detailed or super detailed, but uh, take good notes because a year later, five years later, 10 years later, you'll, you'll, it, it'll really bring the trip back mm-hmm. to you. And I would also add that Google is your friend. <laughs> we get people who write to us all the time and they say, I'm going to this park. What should I do at the park? And you know, we have no way to answer that because we don't know what you like to do and what your circumstances are. So when we, we research the heck out of everything now before we go anywhere and I'll Google, cause we like to hike. So I'll Google, you know, top 10 hikes in Grand Teton National Park. There are a million blogs out there with the hikes. And then I read them all and I figure out, okay, well maybe that particular hike is further than we want to go. Or maybe that hike is a nature walk and we're not interested in that. And I'll narrow my list down. But Anybody can do that if, you, if you're a bike rider, if you're a bird watcher, if you just want to go for a drive on a scenic, you know, what are the scenic yeah. overlooks? Like, I would just say research the heck out of everything depending on what you want to do and yeah. what you're capable of doing. And alltrails.com is, just, mm-hmm. is, is a great time saver. Yes. It, it has the details, it has elevation gain, mm-hmm. distances, it's user, user notes. Right. And I Google, I, there's also a lot of um, great blogs about hidden gems. So I'll, I'll like, I'll Google hidden gems, badlands, and you know, then stuff comes up and, and places to eat. We, we always now find really great restaurants because people write about them and we can look at what we like so that would be my we weren't great at our research at the beginning we weren't good at that at all and we we learned the hard way because we missed some stuff um so now i would just say just research before you go well and for you guys when you were doing like all the parks in two years like researching park after park that would get a little exhausting too to be honest yeah it is it is for sure yeah and you know we we had our blinders on when it came to we're going to all the national parks so we missed in the general area maybe there were some national monuments close by that we could have also seen at the same trip that we didn't because we weren't looking for it we were going to the parks and so that's another thing that we've been, you know, making up for. And we're still finding stuff. I mean, still to this day, we are finding things that we thought we, that are so amazing. And we think, well, like, why haven't we heard about this before? I know. Just because you haven't heard about it or, or isn't, you know, on, on somebody's top 10 list doesn't mean it's not amazing. Like just like a small example, the Beartooth Highway, just uh, northeast of Yellowstone National Park that we drove for the first time last year. You know, we'd heard about it a little bit, but, had, you know, had never done it. it. It was amazing. It was spectacular. Oh, my drive. God, yeah. We did that one last summer, too. That's yeah, amazing. That something? Yeah. So, so yeah, we're, we're always still finding things, which is kind of what keeps us going because we still have a, a bucket list of places to go. Yeah. Um, so if they ever let us out of lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think writing things down is a really good tip too. Cause you know, it's like you could take a picture, but then like, you're like, well, I don't even remember what this picture was, but if you have it written down, it makes a world of difference. Exactly. It also helps um, settle disputes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
can imagine so when you're writing a book together. So, I mean, we kind of talked about this at the beginning, like some of the challenges, but is there like something that like stands out to you as the biggest challenge of writing a book together? Oh, I mean, writing together, um, I just, I just find, I think we both do. Writing's difficult. I mean, it's just difficult, even if you're just writing alone. Um, writing together, where at least we're able to uh, give the other one who's feeling down a pep talk to keep going. The danger zone is when we're both feeling like, you know, we're tired of writing and it's like, oh no, because if, oh, if yeah. the, we don't have the other one to talk us out of the slump, then mm -hmm. it's it, it can go south quick. Yeah, and it's tough too, because when we get to the end of the editing process, or we think, we think we should be at the end. Like I could just keep editing, right? Cause I'm never, Forever. I'm never completely satisfied. I always think, you know, like this, like we could, we could make this section better or we could make this. And Matt's like, we're done. <laughs> I'm hitting publish. We're, we're done. Yeah, it's, it's over. So by the end of the editing process, we're both just going yeah. bananas. Yeah, um, we're done. We're yeah, we're done. And, and then you self edit. You don't have another editor besides your daughter. Uh, we've tried yeah for so for season two we hired an online editor you know there are lots of them out there and we sent it off and it that, it, that wasn't a good it, experience. it was not a good experience there she, it was yeah. just not a good experience she missed she missed a lot of edits and um i don't know it was it just it was not worth the money that we paid the, the bottom line is there it's your book there's no safety net like you can't you, you have to be the one that approves every word, every sentence. Uh, no one else is going to look at it. It's it's your creation, not theirs. Mm -hmm. And so if they miss something, ah, I tried. I tried to, you know, catch it all. But it's, it actually has your name on it. So we're kind of at the point where we'd rather edit it several times ourselves and just rely on us. Yeah. And for instance, like, so this editor... Uh, so, you know, you've read, I mean, Matt's pretty much a, um, a neat freak and a germaphobe and everything. He likes everything a certain way. So he was, he was writing about, um, our first attempts at ca tent camping. And he said something about, so that he bought the footprint that goes under the tent. Right. And then, but he didn't want to get the footprint dirty. So he bought a tarp to go under the footprint to go under the tent. Yeah. Okay. That really happened to you. So he wrote that and the editor circled it and she wrote totally unbelievable you shouldn't you know you shouldn't make a joke about they're like i don't believe that it's for like, a second it's like this is it happened <laughs> this is our life this is that was like yeah I know. and like, i will say every single thing in all of the books is 100 percent true <laughs> like we didn't make anything up it may seem like we did but we do i mean we do edit the dialogue um so that it's interesting right i mean we we organize the dialogue so that there's back and forth, back and forth, and, and it makes sense as opposed to, you know, that that dialogue may have happened over, you know, three hours. You don't do, you know, you don't write it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. but anyway, so yeah. So now we just, we're back to editing it ourselves. Um, but we Google everything. <laughs> Should it be lay, lie, lane? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, go when you're self-editing and I mean, because neither of you like had majors in like English majors or anything, correct? 
Well, I was a journalism major, so I had okay. some, it, but I mean, that was a yeah, long time ago. Like, not that I remember anything. Well, some background of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's, uh, no, it, it's mostly fun or we wouldn't do it. We actually have a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah. yeah. We have a lot of fun. That's why we're not <laughs> writing any more books. It was so fun. We couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> Well, you're just going to have more fun doing the podcast now. That's right. That's right. We'll see that, how that goes. We do enjoy doing the podcast. We do. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a good producer who's very patient and Mm -hmm. makes some, make us sound a little bit coherent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are, you guys are entertaining and I love listening to it. Thank you. It's nice to be the same. I've, yeah, it is funny that you bought a tarp to go underneath the footprint, though. I mean, that just sounds like a first-time camper's mistake. I still do that. I know. I still do that. Yeah. And you I do that? That's how you actually camp? Yes, I put it. I put a tarp down, and then I put the footprint, and then the the tent every time. And then I overlap. I overlap the tarp. The tarp's bigger than the footprint and it overlaps in the front. So you kind of have a space out in front of the tent that's dirt free where you can put your shoes, you know? And yeah, you, like a little welcome mat. Because you, you don't want to just go right out of the tent, right onto dirt. You want like a little bit of a transition. Yeah. <laughs> and plus there's like, we, I have a truck. I can just throw, I just keep throwing stuff in there because it'll, it'll fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny. So like neat, neat camping. <laughs> I, try, I try to be neat. And oh my have, gosh. He has everything organized in bins. And in we go bed. with the, we, we camp with John and Lolly a lot and they're, they're Lolly's very organized also. And Lolly's very neat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not. So, but it's great because I'm married to someone who is. So I think it, it, uh, Lolly, it's a win-win for me. But Lolly does compete with us when, when we're camping. Cause if she sees that we have, we have some kind of gadget. She wants to have that gadget. Or if we have like a, a, a blanket on our, you know, sleeping bag, she, she needs to have a better blanket. And so that's, yeah. that's fun. She, she likes to compete, but we're not doing anything now because we're locked down. That's right. Yeah. You can go camp in your house. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're not ready to do that for sure and you guys turn part of your house into you're trying to make it look like a national park lodge correct yes yes correct yes Mm -hmm. so we had this uh so our house is about 30 years old so it was built in the what early 80s what's 30 yeah and uh it had a sunken living room i don't know back then for some reason they liked to have sunken living rooms and we never used it. It was one of those kind of formal living rooms. So when we were remop- going to remodel it, we decided to make it look like a national park visitor center. Um, so we raised the floors and we put in a big rock wall and a stone fireplace and put wood on the ceiling. And Matt has his interpretive pelt collection in there. And um, so, yeah, it's fun. It kind of makes us feel like we're still in the parks. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, just keep a little bit of your passion in the home. I love it. Matt got found a bison on. Yeah. On on Craigslist. (laughs) Yeah. I remember listening to that too. That's an interesting Craigslist find. Isn't it? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked for a long time and and it's amazing how many uh, ugly bison there are out there. Bug-eyed, a lot of bug-eyed bison out there. Yeah. We're pretty uh, picky. 
found this one. Actually, I found one that was right in, in the town we live in and it was a good price and it was a good, beautiful. And I kept texting the guy saying, I'm interested, you know, like, can I come see it? And like three weeks later, he texts me back. He says, I can't do it. I can't, I can't part with it. And so he, he, he listed the bison. So, uh, then it took me like a year later, I found another one. And gentleman, his, his wife told him it was him or the bison needs to leave the house. And yeah. so he was selling. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. What's, what's the uh, next thing you have to find to hang on the wall? Next animal. Uh, we're, we're good on animals. We got a bison uh, pelt or buffalo robe last summer in Custer, which is huge. And um, I'd like to get one of those um, mountain sheep with the big curls, you know, how they have the, their horns curl back. I'd yeah. like to get one of those. Or a mountain goat. Uh, we, we've, seen, we've seen several mountain goats up close on some of our hikes. It's the Holly Glacier backpacking trip. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We, 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 we look at uh, pawn shops and antique stores. Yeah, mostly we find them when we go to either Montana or Wyoming. Those are the two places where most of the pelts seem to be. Yeah, Wyoming sounds about right for that. I think that's a strong hobby of people in Wyoming. I think so too, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we've talked about a lot. I mean... <laughs> you have enough? You have enough for a podcast? <laughs> I think so. I, th I think so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to add that we haven't touched on? I think if, if we were going to give some parting advice, I think I would say to people, like, don't limit yourself in your own mind. Uh, you know, for instance, when we went on the original journey, I was the one who said, I don't camp, you know, kind of thing. And I missed out on a lot by doing that. And and we hear from people who say, oh, I'd love to, to hike, but I don't hike or I can't do that. And I, I think we're all capable of more than we might think we are in our own mind. So I don't know, I think I'd encourage people to, to try some things. That's one thing that we've learned to just get out there and try it. And you might surprise yourself like we surprised ourselves. And these are national treasures. I mean, not, not just the national parks, but the public lands, the BLM land, the national monuments, the forest, like these are incredible places. Uh, just encourage people to get out there and experience it. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, they really are national beauties and we're really lucky to have them in our country. Yeah, and the more people that get out there, I mean, in the, in the end, Congress has to manage our public lands, not the state parks, obviously, but, but the you know, the National Forest National Parks. And they're going to be guided by the level of interest that the public has. And so it's, it, it, yeah, it would be great to have these parks all to yourself and not see any other people. But um, if that were the case, then, then maybe they wouldn't have the kind of protection because uh, you, you don't have as many advocates. And so we need people to go out there and experience these places and understand how great they are. Because when push comes to shove, if, if if Congress ever has to make decisions about how to use these public lands, you want a lot of people to have experienced them and to be able to give the kind of feedback to Congress to protect and conserve these places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People do need to get out there. Good words. So where can people 
find you guys? Well, we've got, uh, so the, the podcast is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, and that's kind of everywhere, you know, all, all platforms. We've got a, a website, uh, com. We've got uh, on Instagram, Matt and Karen Smith. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook, Dear Bob and Sue. We also have another website where we have a lot of blog posts, and that's um, com. So, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> we'll link them all in the show notes as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. for sure. Well, thank you guys. This has been awesome to have you on and hear your perspective and experiences. And we've really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having us. It's been so fun to talk to you. Thanks. When I read Dear Bob and Sue for the first time a few years ago, it really like grabbed me just because Matt and Karen are a humorous couple and I sensed that in their writing the first time, but like discussed in this conversation with them, not everybody sensed that when they were reading the book. I think that is kind of hard to grab what a writer is trying to convey sometimes. And I know that Andy and I through writing have kind of discovered that the world of podcasting is easier to convey what we want. And it's one of those mediums where I think it's kind of easier for the audience to consume too. There's, with audio, I should say, there's this element where it doesn't require necessarily your full attention span like a video or reading something. With audio, you can you can multitask. You can be in your car driving. You can be doing stuff around the house. You can be at your desk working. Totally. And that's like a huge reason that I love podcasting, but there's no replacement for a book. Sitting down at the end of a day with a book right before I fall asleep is like the best thing ever. And especially like with adventure books like Matt and Karen's book, I feel like they're like bringing me to their adventures and travels with them. Yeah, for us too, one reason we love doing our podcast is kind of what Matt and Karen were getting to as well. I mean, Sarah and I are just like not, I don't think we're natural writers. I think writing comes a lot easier to Sarah because she's got that free-flowing personality And I get caught up in the details. So that's why I do most of the editing. And Sarah will do most of our our, our blog writing. Absolutely. Like writing's been something that I've loved for a handful of years now. I mean, I started a travel blog when I was world traveling. And it's something that has come more natural to me over the years. But like Andy said, we, well, he just pieces it apart a little bit too much and takes so much time to make sure we're conveying the right message. Whereas in a podcast, you guys can tell our emotions and our excitement and the meaning behind our message so much easier. And it's just so much easier to verbally express it than to write it down. So it'll be great to follow Matt and Karen's podcast as they evolve that and tell their stories through their podcast. And the other thing I love about them is, like they said, they're just typical people of an older age. And that's what our podcast is about, like reaching people of all ages and showing that the outdoors is for everyone. And they weren't super outdoorsy people 
but they're doing it and they've become more adventurous over the years and now they're backpacking. So it just goes to show that you can do this stuff and try it out at any stage of life. Yeah, you can do it however you see fit for your own self, you know. Um, I think a very uh, funny part of the podcast, too, was how you guys were talking about the tent setup that that Matt does where he puts down the tarp and then the footprint and then the tent on top of that. So just as a a lifelong camper, I just I found that a little amusing as well, just because it's a it's a bit redundant with the tarp and the footprint, although, you know, it makes sense for Matt. So, you know, we each camp our own way we each hike our own hike so to each their own yeah yeah but But, either way we're just excited that people are getting out there yeah and so the more that people can get out there and find how it suits them you know sometimes what we find too is even when we bring people out backpacking it's not always for them the backpacking backcountry style camping may not be for everyone and some people prefer the campground camping where your site is right next to another person's site and your tent is feet away from your vehicle and just more of those comforts, I guess. And then some people just don't want to be in a tent at all and they'd rather go in a lodge. They'd rather go stay at a hotel instead. And that's fine too. And then just do your your day hikes and see the scenery from your car maybe and that's kind of the beauty of what a lot of the national parks offer too they they cater something to everyone so if you aren't going into the remote backcountry you have these amazing scenic drives you can do these awesome lodges that you can stay in and if you do want to go into the backcountry, there's these awesome trails and campsites that get you away from everyone miles and miles into the backcountry. So with that, if you want to go check out um, Matt and Karen's books, the Dear Bob and Sue series, we'll have a couple links to those books in the description of our podcast. And follow their Instagram page. Their photos they post are just breathtaking. You can check out the Dear Bob and Sue podcast at dearbobandsuepodcast.com. You can also check out more of their travels at their blog, mattandkaren.com. We'll have all the links to these sites in the podcast description. Also, go check out their Instagram, Matt and Karen Smith, for some awesome scenic photos. And until we can get back out to our national parks, keep hiking in place. Thanks for listening. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.